some people just gather supplier diversity program just to say that they have a program. And we know with everything that's been going on over the past 18 months that people are jumping on the diversity DEI bandwagon. And this is probably going off topic, but sometimes I wonder, you know, if we with these organizations five years, these corporations five years from now, what is going to be their their story? What have they done to really actually move that needle? Welcome to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground, where we talk about supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity with everyone from academics, historians, and business leaders. With your hosts, Chloe Guidry-Reed and Adam Moore, you'll hear inspiring stories and practical tips for overcoming challenges and gaining insight into supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity. Let's dive in. This episode is brought to you by Higher Ground. Higher Ground is a technology company whose mission is to bridge the wealth gap through access to procurement opportunities. Higher Ground is making the enterprise ecosystem more viable, profitable, and competitive by clearing the path for minority-led, women-led, LGBT-led, and veteran-led small businesses to contribute to the global economy as suppliers to enterprise organizations. For more information on getting started, please visit us at higherground.io. That's H-I-R-E-G-R-O-U-N-D.io. Now on to the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. You're joined again by your two favorite hosts. I'm Adam Moore here with Chloe Goodry-Reed, and joining us today is Mary Gano, Senior Manager of Supply Chain Diversity and Sustainability at Vistacorp. In her work, Mary advocates for diverse and small businesses by developing relationships with suppliers and diversity councils. Her work paves the way for a brighter future for the DNI sphere every day, right? So just before we jump, I have to say, happy podcasting day, everybody, right? We're recording this on International Podcast Day. So make us your favorite when you hear this episode. We would love you for it. Welcome, Mary, to our show. Yes, Mary, we're so happy to have you. Thank you so much. I am so glad to be here. This is like, I think, a, a national week of different things. Yesterday was International Day of Coffee or something, Coffee Day or something like that. So now National Podcast Day. Glad to be here. So Mary, tell us a little bit about you. Help our audience just get to know you just a little bit and the organization that you work for, for, for those of us who aren't familiar. Yeah, and, that, and that's probably a lot of the people that are listening and they're probably thinking, who is Vistra Corp? Well, Vistra yeah. Corp is actually a power generation company that's based in Irving, Texas, right outside of Dallas. And so we generate electricity as well as we sell it. So right now we have over 50 power plants in about 12 different states and we have retail brands in about 19 states. And so a little bit about myself, I have been in supply chain diversity for just, it'll be three years at the end of October. However, I've been, I've been in Vistra and all its predecessor companies prior to the name being Vistra Corp since, uh, well, for 16 years. And in my roles, I've been a senior project manager. I've been a direct uh, senior manager of talent acquisition as well. And then uh, for these, last, like I said, last three years, I've been in supply chain diversity, which has been something that I'd always wanted to get into. And then the opportunity came available in 2018. And so here I am now. Here you are. That's awesome. Yeah. I always find that like people that end up being in supply chain inclusion or supplier diversity who've been in other parts of the organization are tend to be the most successful because they understand all these different parts of the business as opposed to just coming in because there's a learning curve, right? It's hard to do supplier diversity if you don't understand the business aspects of the organization. It, it sure is. And in, in my role in when I was in town acquisition, I kind of compared the skill set that I had. And I think that's one of the things a lot of people need to realize 
realize is we do have transferable skills. We may not have that title, but we have transferable skills. And so when I was in talent acquisition, a lot of my focus was on diversity hiring, building several new power plants in 20 in 2008 and 2009. And so I look at it from that standpoint of I went out to do some grassroots efforts to attract diverse talent. And now I'm going out doing these efforts to attract diverse owned businesses. And so kind of to me, it just kind of goes in one and it goes together. Well, I think what that shows too is just from your brief bio you gave us, right? Is Vistacorp's true dedication to supplier diversification, whatever whatever term we want to give it. Because all too often companies are like, so uh, who's the new hire? Oh, congratulations, you have supplier diversity and nobody knows what is going on and which end is up. And that's frustrating to our suppliers, you know, because they look to us to be the subject matter experts inside our organizations. And all too often, I've seen supplier diversity practitioners just kind of stare at them blankly going, I have no idea what you just said to me. So that is awesome. So glad to, so glad to have you here today. This is awesome. And just for reference for our listeners, Vistacorp is a utility company. And therefore, we have to remember in the context of this conversation, regulated industries. Well, yeah. So we don't have the transmission and distribution lines. However, still, you're Electricity uh, generation, power generation definitely has regulations associated with it. So, yes, you're exactly right. Right. I come from the banking finance sector. So, and Chloe has experience in insurancing. So, we all three of us played in this space. And we just, we like to make that um, separation because there are different ways you have to go about interacting with those of us who are in heavily or every, every industry has its laws and rules and regs, but utilities, power generation, FI. I have huge and even more encumbersome regulations. So just want to put that lens on there for everybody so we can have context for the conversation. So Mary, how do you, when we talk about just, you know, the regulation and different policies that organizations have, how do you effectively bring in small businesses who may not, diverse small businesses who may not have the capacity, you know, to, to comply with some of these regulatory, you know, just. Yeah, one of the things that we do require our suppliers and which is something that's a little hard for some smaller businesses is the insurance requirements that we have for anyone that's going to be on site also being a part of IS net world is something that we require. And so there's a cost associated with joining that organization and having all their insurance documents and everything uploaded there for us. And so one of the things is, you know, to work with the suppliers, and I'm not going to say that Vistra by no means is going to allow anyone that's going to be on site not to be, you know, not to have safety and insurance in place. But to me, a person who's going to be bringing contractors in to work at the corporate office are different than those that are going to be bringing in contractors that are going to be working at our generation facilities. And so you kind of work, just kind of work with with those. And then in some instances, we do have a tier two program, which we call our multi-tier program, but we just track tier. Uh, We just track tier two spend. And with that, we can do the partnering and the introductions of some of the diverse businesses that may be smaller and introduce them to some of our primes and to uh, have them report on that spend on a quarterly basis. Tier two program. Love, love tier two programs. But one of the things Chloe and I always do, because she and I are horrible about this, having been in the industry this long, we throw around in acronyms and organizational names, and we have had people come back and go, huh? So IS Net World. Talk to us a little bit about that. Just so our, our 
I don't know what it is. And I would like to hear about it. And I'm sure our suppliers I don't like, either. what is that? Yes. And why does it cost me money? And why is it important to me? So could you just give us a few little snippets on that? That'd be awesome. I'll give you as much as I, as I know. I'm not <laughs> an expert much, on I understand. <laughs> I'm dangerous with knowledge too. So it's all, it's a safe space. Go for it. I'd say it's at least a few years ago. I know since I've been in the in our supply chain group, we have utilized IS Network to be the, I guess, the voice for us to go to our suppliers that we have that are going to be needing to have their insurance information. And so then they reach out. Then they're the ones that are getting that and capturing that information for us. On a daily basis, we get a report. Like I get every morning, probably around 6 a.m. Central, I get a, a message from them that list all suppliers, it's not just diverse suppliers, but any suppliers that have lowered their rating from, that's been lowered in their rating based on maybe some of the any accidents that they've had, anything like that, that they've actually reported or something that they're missing. That's absolutely fascinating. Mm. Now, I'm going to ask this question out of ignorance too. Is IS Network just a utility thing or is that kind of just a third party that's helping verify and validate insurances to make our jobs as supply chain professionals easier? That's just a third party. Yes, yeah, not just uh, directed to utility. That's great. That's fascinating. Yeah. That is really helpful because I don't know that a lot of supplier diversity or supply chain professionals even know about this as a Yeah, and I hope resource. I hope everybody listening is doing what I'm doing right now and taking notes on this because this <laughs> is something I don't know about and I've got to look into. So Take notes, people. This is good stuff. I can tell you that already. So, Mary, a couple of things. I want to hear, you know, from your perspective, you've been in it three years now. What common mistakes have you seen, you know, just companies make when sort of constructing supplier diversity programs? I'm sure you have to work with a lot of partner organizations and have been doing a lot more research. And, you know, just talk to us a little bit about that and how you've been trying to, to make it better within your organization. I think some of the common mistakes that companies can make is actually just putting together a supplier diversity program just to say we have a supplier diversity program. Some people just put together a supplier diversity program just to say that they have a program. And we know with everything that's been going on over the past 18 months that people are jumping on the diversity DEI bandwagon. And this is probably going off topic, but sometimes I wonder, you know, if we with these organizations five years, these corporations five years from now, what is going to be their, their story? What have they done to really actually move that needle? And so I, I think that the common mistake is just to put something in place and put it in place typically at just a supply chain level. You have to, have to, have to have buy-in from your executives to get the story out there. You cannot just have it in a little silo that it operates within supply chain and we go out and people think that we're just enjoying ourselves when we're going in all these conferences and that's what people do. Honestly, thanks. So for you listeners out there, believe me, this stuff is hard. It's hard work. But it's but necessary I work. Let me say that too. I mean, yes. Let me ask this question. Mary, how much did we pay you to be on this show? <laughs> Zero dollars. Nothing. Yeah. No dollars, right? This is voluntary. She said, yes, I'll do it for you guys for free. Did you guys hear, Mary? She just validated everything Chloe and I have been telling you over all these past episodes, yeah. right? We didn't sit down. What? We got this script. I, the only reason I'm doing this is I want everybody to understand it's not just in Chloe and I saying yeah. this. This is what the industry is saying. This is what practitioners are saying inside the industry, mm. right? We got this script. What, ladies? We looked at this five, 10 minutes mm. ago, right? Before we kicked yeah. it off. We didn't sit down and have a, a, a pre-production nope. meeting, right? It's we, this is the way we like to do our show. Truly honest, kind of, you know, extemporary. Mm -hmm. But Mary, that's fantastic. I love that thought leadership around that, right? And this is something Chloe and I have been saying all the time. It's like ever since the events of last year, right? And, and the loss of life with unjust shootings, we're not going to paint over that. 
right? right? But if we have to find a positive, all of a sudden these conversations have become laser focused, but you're right. It's us as the practitioners that need to keep the conversations going because if we just let it go, what's going to happen? It's going to ebb and flow to something else. The new problem du jour is going to come up, right? Because we know it is. We know it what's is. What's the flavor of the day? That's, not a, that's what people think. What's the flavor of the day? Okay, yeah, we've heard it's been here before. Okay, what are we going to do next? Okay, what are you going to do next? Yeah, yeah. But I mean, when we think about that, you know, what are we going to do next? What's the flavor? I want to know from your perspective, how important is it that companies stick to, you know, and having a strong supplier diversity program? Yeah, so I, in my prior life before coming into supply chain diversity, I was a senior project manager on the retail side the business so our, our retail and we always said that our 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 employee base should match our customer base and so mm-hmm. if we have diverse customers you need to have diverse employees right. to me same thing with supply chain we have customers that are out there our supply chain should represent that as well now we know that there are some areas that you know like we don't I don't I'm not aware of any you know turbine manufacturers that are diverse so there are certain, there are certain categories we not be able to. But what are those areas that we can? So it's extremely important for companies to definitely focus on supply chain diversity and not just have it. Our group, we have three people. Us three people cannot move that needle, needle by ourselves. Yeah. We have buy in from the executive leadership, the executive supply chain leadership, as well as all our category managers and everyone and the business. Otherwise, we will not be successful. But to your point about not finding minority owned turbine suppliers, right? That's where that's where your tier two program that you you talked about a second ago comes into play, right? Okay, great. I get it. Don't have anybody there, but that doesn't get you off the hook, turbine suppliers, right? Now let's talk about who are you using to supply you raw materials, facilities, maintenance, your contractors. Let's talk about that. And now let me start capturing that spend as well too, right? That's a very important part of our job as, as supplier diversity professionals. And now do your listeners pretty much, they've heard y'all talk a lot about tier two. I just want to make sure that they understand what tier two, when we say tier two, what they understand that truly. I was about to say, Mary, why don't you give us your perspective? Cause they've heard Chloe and I's. And I think everybody, everybody hits it at the core, but there's little bits of different ways, different corporations do it. So we'd love to hear more about how you guys define it and implement it. I think that would be so advantageous. So, so in our contract, we have contract language that states that if it's a contract over X amount of dollars, that by obligation of that contract, that prime, and we say prime, that's that tier one company that's right. doing business directly with us, that we're paying them directly for what services or products that they offer, that they also will work with diverse companies and they need to. Uh, and so what happens is these diverse companies get paid through that prime but then that prime reports that spend. And we want to specifically, we don't capture indirect spend. We just capture direct spend direct to the contracts with Vistra. It's good that you do all this other stuff. You have all this other indirect spend, but we want to know what are you doing from a spend with diverse suppliers specific to the Vistra contract? What is your workforce composition? Because we just started asking that too. I don't know. If that is good. Nice. Yeah. Nice. That's world-class. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. And so, you know, what, what does your workforce composition look like? Are you all utilized? And then I know I've pretty much kind of gone into something else, but yeah, that's what tier two is. is we have a prime main supplier that we're uh, paying directly. Then they work with other companies that are what we consider tier two 
and that Prime reports on a quarterly basis to us on what that spend has been with those suppliers. No, I mean, I think to your point, asking about your workforce (laughs) composition, because I think sometimes on these contracts, if it's like mandated by the clients, they're like, okay, this is something we have to do. Let's just find someone really quickly. But if you take it that step further, it's like, okay, this can't just be something that we're just doing because of this one contract. This has to be weaved into the fabric of our business now, our hiring practices and how we deal with suppliers. So I think that that's incredible. And I haven't heard organizations talk about like really asking that and requiring that of their um, tier one suppliers. So we're, we, and we've only been doing that, I think probably since 2019. Well, I just came into the country mm-hmm. late 2018, I think. So the first time I requested it was probably 2019. Gotcha. So basically okay. you're the one that, that rolled this all out. So that's wonderful. That's one of my programs that I'm responsible for multi-tier. <laughs> That's why we like talking to innovators on this show. Yes. And hopefully they, you know, some of our other listeners will think about this in terms of when they're asking for these um, requirements and just talking to some of their tier one suppliers. Mary, are you guys involved um, very much with the councils, the advocacy councils in Texas? And talk to us a little bit about how they've been able to support you and your team. Yes. So we originally... We're only operating in the state of Texas up until April of 2018, and we went on this whole buying frenzy of acquiring companies. And so in a total of about a year and a half, we ended up purchasing or acquiring three different companies, one generation, and then two retail brands. And so we're only working with the councils that were in Texas. So you had your Women Business Council Southwest, you had your DFW Minority Supplier Development Council, you know, uh, the uh, the Women Business Alliance in Houston and, and the Houston Minority Supplier Development Council. So that was what we were in. And then yeah. we, because we are in 12 states, guess what? We need to work with these other councils. And tomorrow morning, I want to be on a breakfast with the WPEO New York. And yesterday I was on a, a, a Webeck East retreat for the council members. And so the way that they have really helped us is we will, of course, they have matchmaking. We know everything is virtual for the last, what, almost two years. And so we tell them what we're looking for, then they'll match up people, you know, to us. But one thing that I'd really like to call out is that where we really reached out to the uh, councils in Illinois, as well as in Texas, is we are going into renewables. And so big solar and battery storage, we actually uh, went online with uh, in Moss Landing, California, with the largest battery storage facility with 300 megawatts at the latter part of this 20, add another 100 megawatts to that just in the beginning of August. And so, and, and actually what that was, it was an old uh, power generation plant. And so we just repurposed that to make it battery storage. So we're doing a lot of that solar battery storage. And so we reached out to the councils in Illinois to say, hey, we want to have some targeted sourcing events for our renewable space. And they Mm. sent us over a list of companies and we reached out. We invited those companies to a how to do business with Vistra. We had our senior vice president of corporate strategy and development who talked about the different things that we're doing in that renewable space. Then we asked those suppliers to submit a capability presentation. We selected from them and now we're in the midst of actually having them present to these teams. So that is how without those councils, we would not have been as successful in finding and identifying the companies that do already play in this space because we know it is fairly new, but they were able to come through for us. That is wonderful. That's awesome. That's awesome. And that's what the partnership's supposed to be, right? I mean, that's kind of the the model that we all look for. But just really quickly, let's build off of that for a second. So we've talked about you don't have anybody that does um, 
uh, turbines. Mm -hmm. And now you're looking for renewables, that type of thing uh, for minority providers. For our listeners, you know, maybe somebody sitting there going, I'd love to get into utilities, don't really know where to start. Or I think I may be able to pivot a line and come into utilities. What are some of the things you guys are looking for that maybe is kind of hard to find, haven't found yet? Uh, Give our listeners an idea of maybe some points of entry into into your industry yeah, and so from from the solar renewable space what we did is we uh, a few months ago we did meet with that team and we asked okay what are some areas that you would actually unbundle from the epc contracts they give us the whole list of things from a development and o&m standpoint and uh, i can't remember make yeah o&m and i can't remember the third one but so then they yeah they gave us these different unbundled things that we could unbundle. And so some of them are to the point of vegetation. Well, and I never thought about this vegetation. I never thought about this, but when you have solar panels on the ground, because we're not putting them on rooftops, we're doing it on the ground, solar, kind of like a solar farm. Well, guess what? Weeds will grow. And we need to make sure that those weeds don't interact or, or cause any issues with the, with solar. So could you imagine the sun's coming down? If all these they're covering it, then we can't, it's not going to do its job. And so even something like that, things that people don't think they're, what they're doing now would work in the renewable and solar space, it does. And so I would say what they need to do, number one, is do a lot of research, do research on what are some of the things that, you know, is going on within the solar, the renewable space. It's not that you just have to be a manufacturer of solar panels or batteries to no, you could be a distributor of those. You could do other things that interconnect. So we need electricians. And so that are going to be able to put that interconnect to the grid and all that fancy mm-hmm. stuff that I only know. <laughs> but yeah, so I'd say for them to get involved is to do the research, you know, reach yeah. out. Just, you know, and of course, you know, we're all on LinkedIn, you know, do one of those calls and stuff and send over a capability statement. But wouldn't that change the game? I mean, that's kind of exciting. I know we're going off script. That's my job. Um, (laughs) But wouldn't that be exciting as supplier diversity professionals, right? So here's my day on LinkedIn. 15 messages hit. Hi, Adam. I'm so-and-so. I work for such-and-such. We provide so-and-so. Can I have a meeting in the next two days? And you're like, right, because I have nothing else to do with my life right now but to call you in two days. I'm glad you said that, Adam. I get those emails quite frequently. Oh, (laughs) Mary, if you want want a transparent and 100, you come talk to me. I hold nothing back in this case. Everybody knows that. Yes. But how different would the conversation be if it's like, hey, Adam, I'm so-and-so. I would love to work in the financial vertical. What are some areas of opportunity I can explore? Yeah. If you can, give me a call. What? And that would make you want to call them. Or either, like I say, even if they go and do the research and they send them, hey, Mary, I see that you all are doing big things. I just heard about, you know, the Moss Lane. I just heard about that cold, the solar Illinois legislation that just passed literally two weeks ago where we have yes. the solar, the uh our old coal-fired power plants that we are now allowed to transition those over to uh, solar and battery storage. Very exciting times. They send me an email and they talk about something like that and say, well, hey, you know, I'm new to this area and I've done blah, blah, blah. Could I get more information? Yeah. Hey, I'm a subcontractor. You're going to upcycle this building. I'd love to, you know, sub to your prime contractor or run the contract myself. That's amazing stuff. Yeah. I want to buy some of that old equipment that you have there. Yeah. I want to buy some of that old equipment, right? Yeah. I'm a recycler. I'd love to come buy the scrap from you. I'm calling you so quick. I'm not calling. I'm going to send you an email so quick and say, hey, I have (laughs) XY date. Let's schedule 30 minutes to talk. Yeah. I will clear my calendar for you. And I think you guys bring up a good point for our small businesses is oftentimes I think they're like, I want to just push my services. I want to push my services and push my services. But Mary, to your point, do the research around what it is that we're already doing. And then 
based on that, then come to us with some potential solutions. That's exactly. that's the way to get people's attention. You can't just continue to just, oh, well, we do X. You know, I want to have a meeting with you. Okay, well, we already have someone and that's probably not a fire that we have right now. Right. Like, we need someone in this particular space. So being thoughtful about what it is that you're saying when you're reaching out to some supplier diversity professionals. Mm-hmm. That is so true. And I had got an email just recently from a supplier and, and the, they offer a service. And so they said, well, we think that we need the person that we need to be put in contact with is they, you know, said her name and she's our, our SVP general counsel. No, you're not yeah. going to be put in contact with her. <laughs> no, right. you're like, I'm sorry, sir or ma'am. <laughs> yeah. Yes. No. Yeah. No, I, I, I love those. I'm like, no, I like my job well enough not to do that. Thank you so very much. Yes. Um, one other thing I wanted to talk to you about is more just of culture. How can positive change be made in just the culture of companies when you think about just diversity and inclusion and the role that it plays, particularly when we think about just like supplier diversity and how it kind of changes the conversation internally? Yeah, I think with, with supplier diversity, one of the things that it irritates me, and I've heard it, I, you know, we are a company is no different than some of the other companies. You'll have one supplier that just happens to be diverse, and they make one mistake mm. that didn't end the world, didn't close down anything. And then everyone is pegged in that area of that thought. Well, oh, they're smaller. Oh, yeah, well, we had that issue with such and such, you know, 10 years ago, and they still have that in their mindset. Well, how many other issues have you had with non-diverse companies? And so I think the whole purpose is to make sure that if you're going to have a supply chain diversity, a DNI initiative, you need to make sure that you're definitely inclusive. Uh, we talk about how people can make mistakes and then don't let, let them just learn from those mistakes and don't punish them. But yet we continue to do that sort of thing when we don't allow suppliers to have that other chance. Now, yeah, if this is a supplier that came and it did something that was you know, legally unfit or from right. a safety standpoint, that's a whole different story. But if it's unethical, yeah, they that's that's yeah. So it's just from, you know, from a cultural standpoint, we need to make sure that we are working with diverse suppliers, not paying them all as small businesses because we know there are some powerhouse diverse companies out there. So I hope I answered your question. No, that's dead on. I mean, I I see that all the time too, right? Or there's this, they may never have worked with a diverse business, but they hear diverse and small and they assume it's like a husband and wife working out of their garage. And I'm like, no, this one particular company is one of the largest, you know, technology firms you've ever seen. Yeah. Right. International. Mm-hmm. So let's just put that stereotype away. It's amazing. I mean, we talk about unconscious bias in the DEI mm-hmm. space all the time, right? But when it comes to supplier diversity, oh man, it's it is even it's probably a, it's a bigger problem than we lit on to be in our space. Right. And and to your point, Mary, that unconscious bias of I had one diverse supplier come in. It was still you know a non-material mistake, but they've kind of pigeonholed everybody else. Yeah fight that every day. Mary, I mean, how do you feel like, you know, when you're, I mean, I, I I feel like I may know the answer to this, but I'd love for you to talk about it. I mean, your background in HR and just dealing and bringing on, you know, different types of people. How do you think that that sort of serves you when having some of these conversations with some of these category managers, when you're having some of these very uncomfortable conversations, like let's give this company some grace, like this didn't break anything. You know, how do you feel like those managerial roles in, in the past have sort of shaped your perspective now that you're in supply chain inclusion? I think because I've 
had that experience from having those conversations where it was a candidate that was probably the best candidate, but then there's all these if, ands, or buts, or oh, they didn't do this, oh, they didn't graduate from this this particular school, or oh, their GPA was this, I wasn't this, and all that sort of thing. And so when I do have to have those conversations with our category managers, I just pretty much, you know, go in with them and say, hey, you know, give this company an opportunity. And so we we did have, you know, one, unfortunately. And so we had several meetings, not only with the category managers, but also with our supply chain leadership, too. And I went ahead and I introduced them to other plants because they were doing such an exceptional job at another at two other facilities that I just continued introducing them. And now they're getting business through these other these other locations. And so it's one of those things you have to you know, put your your foot down. And I think that that's one of the things that I learned in in working in in town acquisition was that you do have to do that. And when I was in town acquisition, I mean, we hadn't built the power plant in probably 30 years. And so we were building these new, new lignite coal mine in the industry. It's pretty much that whole legacy. Your granddaddy worked here, your daddy worked here, your you work there. And it's not people of color that are in that pretty much that line. And so being able to talk with the hiring managers and saying, hey, we're going to go out, I'm going to present you a diverse slate of candidates. And I'm going to work with you to make sure that I'm not not putting a quota or anything like that, but to make sure that you do hire people that are the best for the job. And pretty much the same thing, bring in the best, give them, even with the supplier, even if you don't want to give them all the business, give them a piece of it, let them show what they can do. And then after you get more comfortable, then continue to give them more and more. Right. Yeah. You know, one other thing, how how important do you feel like having good leadership skills for our other supplier diversity professionals? And you think about the, the time it may take in just your own professional development. But I mean, so much of what you guys do is advocacy inside the organization. So talk to us about how important that you think it is to have these soft skills of leadership when when you're in this role. Oh, you have to have it because unfortunately you can't go in. You have to, and, and for me, I mean, I think my boss is a little bit different. She's she's been called a bull in a china shop, but she's been in supply technology for 30 over 30 years. Me, you know, I'm still kind of, you know, a little bit maybe not as bold. Yeah, you're still trying to make friends with anyone. Yes, yes. right. You know, exactly. you can you can win more for you carrot, not the stick sometimes, right. you know. It's just yeah. Right. And so for me with having those leadership skills and knowing how to discern what battle do you want to take on. Every battle presented to you is not one that you really need to focus on, but identify those that you really want to, and then go into the people that you want to talk with and to try and get that buy-in of whatever you're trying to, to have done. But it's crucial to have those leadership skills because we interact with so many different uh, so many different individuals. So, you know, it's internal supply chain. So we've got our category managers. We also, some people call them strategic sources, but we call them category managers. Right. Procurement specialists that are doing the contracts. We have buyers at the plants. We have plant managers that I interact with. I have senior leadership that I'm interacting with when I'm setting up, you know, capability presentations for them to hear from these suppliers. So if I didn't have, I think the respect of the team at Vistra, I wouldn't be able to do what I do. So yeah. true. So true. You know, and sometimes it's having to have those tough conversations, right? When you're talking to um, a potential supplier and you're just like, I don't see a path in, right? And and having that tough conversation or when they come in, they horribly blow up an interview, having those tough conversations, right? And I think that's the leadership part of it too, is just knowing how to 
manage expectations internally and externally as well. So I totally agree with everything you just said. And a lot of the times before we, especially if we're going to have a capability, uh, have one of our suppliers that is not currently a supplier, but that the potential suppliers present to the business. Like I have one this afternoon that's going to be presenting to our town acquisition team, our chief diversity officer. And so I had a call with him yesterday and I kind of ran through kind of the things that I think they're going to be covering. And and a lot of the times I kind of like coach them before we have these, because the last thing I want to do is to have them fail because it yeah. looks bad on them. But at the same time, it looks bad on me because when I go back to that executive and say, hey, I got this great company I want to present to you in their mind, they're going to think about that last company that I presented to them that failed. Yep. Yeah, yep, that's so true. I mean, Mary, you hit on a very important topic, right? Those of us in corporate America are doing this. We only have so much political capital. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. And we have to make sure if we spend it, we're spending it on the right candidate. Right. So I need you guys to remember that, too. Yes. Like those of us who are on this panel right now, we we don't have an unlimited you know, supply of grace and capital inside corporate America. Yeah. We only have a very limited amount. Right. So we have to make sure that everybody we present builds success so that we can grow the program. So we can bring more diverse suppliers into the program because one success begets the next. And we have to, if you want to say it, play that political game. I mean, that's yeah. not probably not the right thing to say or something you want to publicize, but it's the truth. And that's what this show is all about. Is we want to make sure you guys know exactly what we're facing inside corporate America. Yeah. And what I try to do is anytime like I get an email from a company and we know that there is such an, a great abundance of staffing companies. There's so many IT companies that are out there and those are areas that we're not looking at right now. And so I let them know ahead of time, hey, you know what? We got away from that model. We've been doing a lot of more uh, permanent full time hiring. We got an internal team, whatever, but I still keep their capability statement because you never know. We could decide to something totally different, but I definitely do communicate. And I think that to my supply chain diversity peers, I would say that make sure that you do communicate back to them. Do I respond back always in a timely manner? It may be two, three weeks before I can even get back to respond to you, but I try to always respond to someone who sent me an email. Yep. No, I completely agree with that. And I love what you said, save their information anyway. Right. Cause I remember kind of early on in my career, I talked with the supplier. I'm like, We'll never buy that. We're a financial institution. We're never going to need this. Kind of patted them on the head, sent them on their way, deleted all their stuff. Literally 24 hours later, I had somebody come up and go, so (laughs) we're going to buy such and such. Do you know anybody? I'm just staring at them like, you have got to be kidding. (laughs) Luckily, I could go back in my deleted files and find it really fast. But it was a lesson learned for sure. But that's a great thing to bring up, Mary. And I love hearing that. Mary, last question for you for our small business listeners, you know, who may not be ready to be tier one suppliers. How do they connect with your tier ones to potentially participate in some tier two opportunities? They would. I'm about to take notes on this. Okay. Uh, <laughs> number one, reach out to me. Number two, make sure that you do the research where you can maybe possibly feel that you would fit in the space, that you have something that we're probably looking looking for. For those that are listening, I'm sorry, if you're a staffing company, it probably wouldn't make sense for you to reach out to me now. Although if you did, I'm going to respond back to you and let you know that we don't have that need. But uh, that's that's what I think that they need to do. And then I will schedule the introductions and maybe a introduction where I'm on a call with you all. I typically do that with our logistics third party uh, prime. And I be on the call with you know, these other logistics companies and do that interact, that introduction, or just this week, I did one with one of our uh, main EPCs and I did a soft introduction. 
you know, virtual introduction that way. And so I do those as well. So the key is to get with me, find out, you know, like I said, try and do as much research as you can, but we have to realize that they may not know everything that we're right. doing in our company, but some things are written out there where you should be able to get a press release from our website or just go out there and Google Vistra. You'll find out other information about us. Yeah. Oh, but there's one thing that you just said that I just love though, is the fact that you make that connection because I think that that's so powerful and that if they're already a tier one supplier and then you, the client actually is like, oh, I'm making this intro. They're more inclined to take this seriously as opposed to, oh yeah, just connect with this, this other company, you know? So I, I just thought that, I mean, that's something I really just wanted to highlight there. Thank you. And one thing too, not to try and pat myself on the back, but we don't have a portal. Adam, do you all have a portal where a supplier diversity portal where companies can come in? I'm that portal. I'm the portal. I was about to say, I'm the portal. (laughs) Adam and Mary portal. Here we are. I tell people. Nameless plug, higher ground can help with both of that. (laughs) (laughs) And we, and We may be doing something like that because I'm trying I try my best. Like I said, I keep all capability statements. And I always, in my mind, I'm thinking from a technology standpoint, how could I better have this set up? I've tried to create an access database and, you know, putting like a, try to create that, to make that a CRM system for my capability statements. But I know how to find them. I just save them as, you know, put keywords in the name so I can just go back into Cortana and just type it in and it'll pull up all those that happen to do turbine repair work or something like that. There you go. Now, for all of our listeners, obviously this is a huge opportunity. Turbine is really what they need. Right. We've heard that like three or four times now. Exactly. Exactly. Freud would say we know what's on Mary's mind. Apparently it's turbines. Exactly. (laughs) So for all of our listeners, if you fall into that space, then definitely this might be something you want to reach out to Mary about. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Mary. Yeah, this has been a fantastic conversation. Well, thank you. Yes, you can follow Mary and all her work at www.vistracorp.com. Be sure to check her out on LinkedIn and also be sure to connect with us on LinkedIn at Chloe Guidry and Adam Moore. And if you enjoyed this episode, check out previous episodes and stay tuned for next time. Thank you for listening to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. We are grateful for the time you spend with us in participating in these conversations. Please review and rate and share our show as we are focused on growing awareness in the supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity space. If you'd like more information, please visit us at higherground.io. That's H-I-R-E ground dot I-O. Thank you for being here and we look forward to seeing you next week.